The reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Thank you, Kirsten, and good evening, everybody. It's lovely to see you all here tonight. Um, a few years ago, my grandma, just in the sort of last few years of her life, she had dementia, and so she was in a specialist home uh, for elderly people with dementia. And when she was about 94 years old, my dad got a phone call from the home just to tell them about an incident which had happened the night before. And the story went like this, and my dad, as he was listening to what was being told to him, he couldn't quite decide whether to burst into tears or to laugh out loud, and you'll hear why. So what had happened was, my grandma, age 94, quite confused, had been down for her dinner and then came back up to her room. And as she went onto the corridor uh, where her room was, she found another equally confused older lady coming out of her room. My grandma evidently went absolutely mental, and the first thing that the carers in this home knew that there was something going on was that they could hear shouting coming from upstairs on the corridor. So they all ran up, and when they got up there, there was my grandma, proper little old lady from Yorkshire, age 94, with dementia, with the other little old lady in a headlock, okay, and, and was saying to her, and hitting her on her head at the same time with every word was, go, was going, do not ever go in my room ever again. And this was the incident that was being reported to my dad uh, down the phone. Uh, as you can imagine, he didn't know quite whether to laugh or cry at this situation. But as the nurses started to explain to my dad, they said, don't worry, you know, we can sort of change her, her medication and it'll be okay. And, and they said, you know, actually, this is not massively unusual uh, for people who struggle with dementia because what happens is uh, they sort of revert to type. So some people get really, really affectionate. And this happened to another friend's uh, parent where he just became so affectionate. Some people get a little bit more aggressive and angry. And that was what had happened to my grandma. She definitely reverted to type. 
I wonder what we do when the rubber hits the road, how we react when things are a little tricky at life, in life. How do we cope under pressure? Maybe uh, your experience of the last two years and having to sort of give up control has made you really reflect on who you are and how you coped in, that, in the situations that you found yourself over the past two years of COVID. What effect did lockdown have on your character? We've been hearing a little bit about Hannah cope with that a few moments ago. What does it look like for you to revert to type? In this life, we all face periods where we're under pressure. I'm sorry to have to burst some of your bubbles. If you're hoping for a breeze of a life where everything is flowery and rosy and joyous, I'm afraid to tell you there will be stress, there will be struggles, there will be times of suffering alongside the times of fun and happiness and joy and fulfillment. And maybe some of us have arrived in church tonight and we're experiencing right now some of that pain and that suffering. Maybe we've just had a really tough year and we're just a bit worn out and broken by it all. We feel stressed, we feel tired, we feel pushed from pillar to post, we might feel bullied or pressurized from every side. We may be weak, we may be fragile, we may be like those fragile clay jars Paul mentions in that reading tonight. But if you are a Christian, then you also have within you this treasure, the hope, the love, the power of the risen Christ Jesus. This whole stunning passage that we're going to look at tonight from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, do get it open if you haven't already got it open on your phone. This whole passage tonight just captures the, the paradox of the Christian faith that through Jesus' suffering, we have life. That in our weakness, God is strong. And until Jesus returns... We are living in this funny place between the now of this life, which can be full of joy and happiness, but equally it can be full of pain and suffering. Because it's also the not yet. We're living in the now, but the not yet of the kingdom of God. We've got hope that there is more to come. Real Christianity, then, is never um, about freedom from suffering, but it's about God's strength in our weakness. It'd be awesome, wouldn't it, if we could invite uh, people to follow Jesus and promise them uh, that, hey, come and find out about Jesus, because then you'll be immune from experiencing any form of pain or suffering or loneliness or stress or heartache. But that's just not the case. Because as long as we're existing in this world, Christians, like everybody else, will be touched by the effects of the brokenness of this world. But because we have 
these treasures in jars of clay. We know the bigger picture that brings us hope and healing and peace. So Paul, who writes this passage, he completely gets it that real Christianity is never about freedom from suffering. Because this is what he experiences every day. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you'll already know that because we've been unpacking that a little bit already in our sermons. He might, Paul might appear to us as being some like super Christian, you know, after all he met with Jesus um, on that road to Damascus and he um, has written these incredible books of the Bible. But the reality for him was like it is for many of us, and in many ways it was worse, because he lived in this tension between the pain of his humanity and the joy that he has found in Jesus. And in a way, I think that the experience of Paul helps us just to come to terms with what it is like really to be humans. And yet it also gives us this keen focus on the glory of God as well that's ahead. So we're just going to unpack a little bit some of the verses in this passage. He begins this part of the letter by encouraging us not to be discouraged. Whatever is happening, he's saying, cling on to Jesus, cling on to the truth of the gospel. He says, verse 1, do not lose heart. We do not lose heart, he says. Don't lose heart. Don't give in. Even when the going's tough, hang on to hope, cling on to Jesus and his word. And then verse 2, don't use deception to distort the word of God. You know, we sometimes do this, don't we? We, we give God a hand. You know, we, we make the good news of Jesus maybe a little bit more palatable uh, for our friends. We don't need to do that, Paul is saying here. Don't, you know, distort the word of God. Our job is simply to bring people to Jesus so they can see him and meet him for themselves. We don't need to wrap Jesus up in fairy lights to make him look more attractive. And some people will respond to him, Paul saying, and others uh, will be as though they're veiled or blindfolded in verses 3 to 5, walking through life, not able to see the truth because they've been blinded by everything else that seems so enticing and shiny and attractive in this world. Paul is simply pleading with us to keep Jesus central. And then this leads us to what I think is the central verse of this passage, verse 7. As we've seen, Paul is at pains to point out that this is not about him and how brilliant he is as a leader or an apostle of Jesus. This is not about you or I. It's not about our personality or Paul's personality or power or influence. But as verse 7 tells us, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What is this treasure? The treasure is God's love deposited within us through Jesus. And we 
are the jars of clay. You might not have ever thought of yourself as a jar of clay tonight. It's before, but you're going to do tonight. We are jars of clay. So what's significant about these jars of clay? Well, in this time, and still it's the same in, um, in, uh, in the Middle East today, jars of clay were commonplace. They were everywhere in this area of the Middle, Middle East. They were used to hold all sorts of things, whether it was water or oil or grain, uh, but they were also used to hide things in. They were cheap. They weren't anything special. But because they were so common and they were everywhere, people did actually put really precious things inside clay jars. In 1945, there was this shepherd boy out in uh, the uh, wilderness, uh, outside uh, near the sort of area of the Dead Sea. And he was, he'd heard that there was some treasure to be found in the area. And so he, he was out looking after his goats, but also searching for treasure. And, uh, and one day, he, he sort of lobbed. I don't know if you can see on the picture on the screen, there's a, like a little cave halfway up there. And he was down at the bottom. And he lobbed some uh, stones into that cave. And he was really surprised because he heard the sound of breaking jars or something. And somehow, I don't know how he managed it, but he managed to climb up there and he went into the cave. And he discovered some clay jars, some of which were broken. And, and in those clay jars, he found what he thought were just old scraps of leather and things. But he took them out into the light and found there was writing on some of these um, pieces of leather and papyrus, and he gathered them all up, uh, along with some of the jars, and he took them to some antique dealer in his local town. Uh, and after a while, it was discovered that actually, on the, in these jars, were what we now know are the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, you can Google it if you, when you get home if you want. But basically, it's the, one of the oldest manuscripts of the Bible ever, of the different parts of the Old Testament. It's not complete, but every book of the Old Testament is represented apart from Esther. And what um, uh, historians and archaeologists discovered was that these manuscripts were the treasure of a community called the Qumran Christian community that was around in that region about 2,000 years ago, just after the time of Jesus. And, and, and what they think is that the Qumran community had to move very quickly out of that region. Uh, and so they got their treasure, those manuscripts of the Old Testament, and put them in these clay jars and hidden them in a cave with the intention to go back and get them. But they never went back to get those scrolls hidden in those clay jars, treasure in jars of clay. These clay jars are also really fragile. They're vulnerable to weakness, just like us. Over the years, they would be cracked and chipped and broken perhaps just like us, yet they were still useful. And these clay jars were, were created by somebody. They didn't just magically appear. They were created by a potter. And through the Bible, uh, this image of us as humans being the clay and God being the potter forming us and making us pops up time and again. And it reminds me that these clay jars, 
Paul speaks of, they don't just create themselves, but are created at the hands of the potter. He or she takes this lump of clay and makes it into a unique masterpiece. Just think about that for a moment. You do not create yourself, but you're created by the master potter. So we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So within our broken, vulnerable, fragile humanity, we have this treasure which is strong and is true and is reliable and is worthy of everything. Later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, God's power is made perfect in weakness. I wonder how you feel about weakness or fragility, maybe in yourself or other people. Just think about that question for a minute. How do you feel about being weak or fragile? To be honest, at different parts of my life, I found it really difficult to be weak, to be vulnerable. And, you know, we all do this sort of self-analysis. And I think I, I know why I find it difficult. I'm sure there's many reasons, but these are the ones I've come up with. Um, there were things that happened in my family in my teenage years that were really traumatic um, at the time. And I guess that during that time, I learned uh, survival and coping me mechanisms that just became really ingrained in who I am. Ultimately, at that time, I had to be strong and I had to hold myself together because everybody and everything around me was falling apart. And so I had to be strong. I'm also the first woman in my family for many, many generations to work full time. And again, that has an impact on me. I'm also a woman of the generation uh, where you can go to work and you can have a family and all that sort of thing. But we also have to be strong and we have to push the glass ceilings. Uh, and we also have to keep everything in place and in order as well. We have to be careful not to show weakness or vulnerability. And then alongside all that, I'm an ordained minister, which as a woman is in a man's world, a lot of my 20 years of ordained ministry. And so because of all that, all that baggage, I've had to learn that there is good weakness. There is good fragility. The sort of weakness which God works in and through us, a weakness that leads me to a place where I'm prepared to admit that, you know, I cannot do everything on my own. A weakness that leads me to a place where I say, I need you, God. In my weakness, your power, God, has to break through. I've had to learn that I, I don't need to be superwoman all the time. I can be sort of 95% of the time, uh, but not all the time. And I need to let God be God. 
And when I do that, I realize that in my weakness, it gives God a chance for his power to be made visible. Think about that clay jar again. I was imagining uh, a clay jar and you stick a light in it of some point and put a lid on, not a candle because that would go out because we all know candles need oxygen, uh, but some sort of power in a clay jar and you can't see the light. But actually, if that jar is cracked, weak, broken, then suddenly the light starts to pierce those cracks and shine out. And so it's not we that need to be strong and powerful all the time. But the message of God's spirit within us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is alive within us, is what needs to be made visible. What needs to be shown and pierce the darkness of our lives in this world. When we're authentic and real about the things that we do struggle with, that we can't do on our own, when we're, we admit that, yeah, we are clay jars filled with Jesus, it's then that the glory goes to God. And it doesn't become all about us, but it becomes all about Jesus because his power is made perfect in our weakness. I was just thinking about this in terms of writing sermons. The number of times I've written a sermon and I felt like I was about to get up to preach it and I thought, oh my goodness, this is just not quite there. It's not quite hit the mark. I haven't had enough time or I've really struggled or God, why did I prepare to say that? That's just not right. And so I've had to say to God, God, okay, I've got nothing. And so I want you to shine through this sermon. Show your power. Do your thing. Because I can't do it. And it's funny how sometimes in those moments, those are the moments where there's something that God just does and speaks to people through his spirit and maybe just touches somebody's heart. Because it's not about me. It's all about what him and what he's doing. A great reminder here from 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than people's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than people's strength. And then again, as we come to the close of this passage, we come across this paradox of Christianity again, expressed really poetically and powerfully in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9, as we find out that God's strength is seen, again, even in the deepest of struggles. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. There is hope because God is strong. Which of those words do you need to grab hold of and take out of here tonight? Hard-pressed, but not crushed. You might feel like you're jammed in a corner, 
but keep fighting because you're not crushed. God is on your side. You might be perplexed, but not in despair. You might be confused by the struggles that you're in. But know that God is faithful, that he can be relied on. Persecuted, but not abandoned. You know, you might feel just really under pressure for some reason. You might be accused of something or victimized by a friend or a colleague. But know that you will never be abandoned by God. Struck down, but not destroyed. You've been knocked down, but you are not knocked out. That struggle you're going through, you know that God can and will use it for his glory. It's like pain with a purpose. I sort of like that phrase, and I also don't like it as well, because pain is painful. But even in the hardest of times, even in the most hopeless, heartbreaking of situations, somehow God, in his mercy and in his strength, can use those times for growth and learning and, uh, and refining. I'm not a sailor, but a few years ago, uh, we borrowed a friend's boat that looked like this. It's called a Druscombe Lugger. We did feel that we were in Swallows and Amazons for a few weeks, uh, and we took it down to Devon and sort of learned to sail in it. And I learned quite a little bit about sailing over that summer. And one of the things that I discovered was this. Even when it seemed like the winds were against us, you can still use those winds to make progress as difficult as it was at the time. As much as the winds might be against you, you can still use those winds, that power, to make progress as difficult as it might have been at the time. Weakness and struggles can remind us of our dependence on God and can refine us and help us to grow as disciples of Jesus. Right at the heart of the Christian message is love, power, strength, and weakness and suffering. We see it in Christ's weak and broken body, in his pain, in his vulnerability, as he just hung, nailed to those two pieces of wood. In Jesus' suffering on the cross, the most incredible power and love was demonstrated. The power of sin was broken and claimed, and Christ claimed the ultimate victory. Love, power, freedom, forgiveness through pain and suffering and struggle. I want to end with some words uh, from a blog by a Christian writer and speaker, Danielle Strickland. I'm sure some of you have heard about her uh, before, I heard her speak. And she wrote this particular blog uh, about three or four years ago 
excuse me, uh, about three or four years ago, just after a really close friend of hers had died. And this blog was written at the end of a day that she had spent uh, with her friend's wife. They were quite, both quite young at the time. And she says this, it is not our own strength that's going to make the dawn appear. Not our fragile, broken lives. Not our clay-baked power that will turn the tide of winter and usher in the spring. It's a power greater than ourselves, hidden deep within us. An all-surpassing power that nothing beats, nothing. And this power is God's deep power deposited in us through Jesus. So today, tonight, however we feel, together or broken, weak or strong, despairing or filled with hope, two incredible truths that I'd love us just to hold on to as we leave here later tonight. First one, as much as you might feel like a fragile, cracked, even broken clay jar. You have the treasure of Jesus within you if you have asked him into your life and asked him to be your Lord and Savior. And God's strength, God's power, secondly, is seen most profoundly through our weakness. Let's just pray. Jesus, we thank you that we sit here as clay jars. Some of us are all together. We're all shiny and new, and others of us are feeling a bit wrecked and broken and battered and bruised. We've got cracks and chips out of us all over the place. But God, we thank you for this good news that you are our treasure. And that you can use the brokenness of our lives to shine your light into your world. That this week as we leave here, we can show your love even through our weakness and our brokenness. We can bring your hope even through our troubled lives. We can bring some of your good news into our broken world. And so we thank you and we praise you. And we also give you ourselves and we bring you our brokenness and our struggle and our weakness tonight. And you know where the places in our lives are where we really need to know your power. Maybe your healing. Maybe your love. Maybe your forgiveness deep within us. And so maybe just in this moment, name that place of weakness or brokenness before God. And let him shine his love and his healing and his power into that place. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.